Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South, who joins us right now on the phone lines. And Connor, appreciate you joining us, man. How did Indianapolis treat you? Gentlemen, doing well. Uh, it's it's been great. It's been absolutely awesome here. Indianapolis built a, a very special place in my heart. I went to school in Indiana. I interned in Indianapolis. I've spent a good amount of time here. I'm currently at my my in-laws' house. Uh, my wife's family is from here, born and raised. So um, I love that we got that game. And I'm, I might be in the minority among SEC folks, but I love that it happened in yeah, I feel like most people like to have the uh, warmer weather of a Florida or a California or, or whatever. But, hey, if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, you don't care if it was played in Antarctica, you would have been happy with winning a national championship. And since you were there and, like, Bama winning it would have, of course, Bama fans would have loved it. But, you know, the amount of titles they've won, it just seems like it's so uh, so normal for them. But to see Georgia win it, finally to get over that hump for Kirby Smart to get a national championship, what is that? what was that scene like in the celebration? It was incredible, and um, I, I've seen very few things like that. And seeing the way that that Georgia fans were reacting—not just the the drunk ones who stumbled onto the playing field after the game <laughs> and got arrested as a result—but seeing people like running into Aaron Murray and seeing Aaron Murray, you, you couldn't wipe the smile off that guy's face. And and knowing what it meant, having been a part of that history an unfortunate part of that drought getting there to the SEC championship in 2012 and coming five yards away from beating Alabama. And, you know, that Georgia team would have smoked Notre Dame in the national championship. Like guys like that, those are the people that I kept thinking of. I I spent a lot of time with Georgia fans this week and I have really this season and just kind of talking with them about having never experienced it in their lifetime. And it's not like, Oh, Hey, you know, it's not like we're talking about Vandy. We're talking about a program that has so much talent, and it's just there on a yearly basis, and it's just found some way to mess that up. And they didn't do that last night, and there were moments in which you kind of wondered if that was going to happen, and instead you see this this exhale, this relief, this, uh, this, this cathartic moment of, wow, this has finally happened, and I think Georgia fans are, are soaking in every minute. Spending time with Georgia fans, what was the feeling going into that game? They had to be a little bit anxious and maybe – nervous in the fact that they hadn't gotten over the hump and even early in that game what was the atmosphere as far as the georgia fans yeah there, there was definitely some of that and i think that as the game kind of progressed there's you could hear that anxiousness you know i know jc daniels was was, tr- was trending on twitter but you know i bet there are a whole lot of people in that building who were wanting to see jc daniels come out there when georgia was held without a touchdown for the majority of that game. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, they kind of figured things out. But you could tell, I mean, it was tense. It really was. And when Alabama got the favorable call on that Stetson Bennett fumble there to set up their touchdown, their first touchdown, it was kind of like, well, is that is that going to be the thing that we talk about with Georgia? Is that going to be second and 26? Is that going to be the fake punt? What exactly is that going to mean in the big picture? And Georgia this time bounced back from it, and that wasn't a defining moment at all. Instead, it kind of got them going a little bit, and that, that proved to be a turnaround. But you could tell Georgia fans, like, they're, they're holding their breath on every play, man. Oh, I can only imagine, especially given the circumstance of the last time these two teams met in a national championship game. But even the last time these two two teams met in the SEC title game, 
I guess was it just chalked up to where Alabama played their best game of the year and Georgia didn't play so well because you know it's one thing to to go out and beat a team, but the way Alabama beat them in the SEC championship game, I was kind of thinking, man, they they just know, must have their number, must have their matchup. But what would you say was the biggest difference between that SEC championship game and their performance and this game? Georgia got pressure on Bryce Young this time, and the last time that that just didn't happen. Georgia was content to have kind of a similar game plan to what we saw in the regular season that had worked so well with not having to send, you know, five, six rushers. Instead, it was more like, hey, we're going to see if we can do this with three or four. And we saw in the SEC Championship, you get Bryce Young that kind of time, and he can step into throws, and uh, Jameson Williams can get behind your secondary. It doesn't matter if you stick the two best defenders on him, he's going to find a way to beat you over the top. And so, you, you kind of look at the adjustments that were made from Dan Lanning and you say, well, yeah, Georgia spent more pressure, and that's that's where everything really starts with that. But yeah, it might put some of their, their defensive backs on an island, but you just can't give Bryce Young that kind of time. And if he wants to dink and dunk all day with Slade Bolden, all right, fine. But you needed to force him to throw a ton and have to make a ton of decisions. He threw, what, 57 times in that game? And eventually, he's going to make a mistake. As great as he is, he's going to make a mistake if you force him to make that many decisions. Georgia did just that. The pressure, to me, was what kind of turned everything around and was what got that defense looking like the group that we saw in the regular season. From an offensive standpoint for Georgia, do you think uh, the biggest difference was them just being aggressive? And uh, even for most of that game, they weren't. They were still – Kirby Smart is known for being conservative – and playing it close to the vest and then just playing good defense. But after Bama got that, that fortunate turnover, it seemed like they were just more aggressive altogether where it was almost like, okay, if we don't do this here and go out and try to win this championship, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, third and one, that play where Brock Bowers scores, scores a touchdown. I mean, it, like, it looks like, hey, Georgia, you got to keep running the ball. And – you know, I, I, I was even critical of Todd Munkin early on in the, in the first half where, like, why does Stetson Bennett have, like, 18 pass attempts and Samir White has two rushing attempts? I think that was the case with, like, two minutes left in the first half or something like that. And I'm thinking, man, what, what is Georgia doing? Like, this is, this is just not working. But they made those adjustments. And that, that chance that Stetson Bennett took when he got a free play, when A.D. Mitchell, he knows he's going to have single coverage on the outside, he's going to put it up to his, 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 his guy to go make a play, and that, that's exactly what he did. And that throw and catch, I mean, gosh, that, that's got to rank up there all time with one of the best in Georgia history. I mean, think of the magnitude of what that play was. Yeah, it was a free play, but Stetson recognized this is, this is his opportunity, and you have to be willing to, to recognize that you're going to get some of those mismatches on the outside, especially without Josh Job. And I thought that they were able to take advantage of it, that they were more aggressive. And instead of turtling in the fourth quarter like they've done so many times against Nick Saban, that group finally said, you know what, we're going to be the aggressors. And they leaned on Alabama, and they took over down the stretch. We're speaking with Connor Rogera of Saturday Down South, talking about the national championship game last night here on Out of Bounds. Connor, I know it's always woulda, coulda, shoulda, and I know injuries are a part of all sports, especially uh, college football. But do you, how big – can you even state how big of an impact it was not having Mechie – and having Williams go out early in the game for Alabama because nothing against Georgia, not taking anything away from them. But, man, I feel like if you were able to have those two guys healthy for Alabama, it may have been a completely different game. 
It might, yeah. I mean, it definitely could have been. Like, two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Georgia deserved to win that. And, like, when you spend 41 years working up to, to, to win a national championship, uh, there there is no asterisk or anything like that. I mean, you, you aren't, you've earned it. You absolutely have. But at the same time, Alabama's offense wasn't as good. I mean, like, let's, let's just call it what it is. James Williams is phenomenal. And even though Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning sold out to stop him, he still had a really productive first half in that game. And that's the impressive thing to me. I was trying to bring up the Mechie point as much as possible going into that game. I thought it was a little bit overlooked that in the six quarters without John Mechie going into the national championship, Bryce Young's passing yards per attempt were down at like 7.0. And, you know, if you take away that Jameson Williams touchdown early in the SEC championship, you actually would have dropped to about 5.9. The passing game just isn't the same without those two guys. It's just not. I mean, uh, Slade Bolden, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, Ajay Hall, those guys are uh, those guys are young, but they're not at that level of a Jameson Williams, of a John Mechie. There's a reason we've been talking about them as first-round guys. And Alabama missed them, and Bryce Young could only do so much, and ultimately that wasn't enough. We would expect that we're going to get more of the same as far as Alabama-Georgia being at the top of the SEC. But who are teams that you would think would be able to challenge these teams and uh, in, in possibly winning the SEC? Texas A&M has put together a nice recruiting class, and they seem like they're in that realm where Georgia has been over the past few years, where it looks like they may be able to take that next step. But outside of them, and uh, who do you think is maybe has the best chance of challenging Georgia-Bama for the top of the SEC? Yeah, I'm I'm not quite there with AM. I'm I'm pretty baffled that they're getting as much love as they are in these way too early rankings. I saw Brett McMurphy kind of like number four. I'm thinking to myself, like, did did I miss something? Like did did they not just lose like basically every piece on that defense not named Antonio Johnson? Like I, I get it. They've recruited really, really well, but they just lost Mike Elko, who's one of the best defensive minds in the sport. They just lost to Marvin Leal and Jaden Peavy, like up and down, Leon O'Neill. All these guys like are gone off that defense. And yeah, they've got this historically good recruiting class, the best recruiting class money can buy. But at the same time, we're looking at this team and, and trying to figure out, well, that recruiting class, like even elite recruiting classes don't make an impact, that big of an impact in year one. And I'm looking at an eight and four team that went four and four in SEC play. So I'm just kind of scratching my head at that. I think we're getting a little bit ahead of our skis there, but you know, it is, it does feel a little bit more wide open. I I think the the Kentucky and the Arkansas have a really good case to be part of that mix. And I'm not necessarily of the belief that Arkansas deserves to start off in the top 10. I'm not quite at Joel flat levels of love for the hogs, but I do think they're kind of in that next tier of like, all right, hey, let, let's see what they're building. Let's see if they can put together a, a really solid foundation year three for you know what's what's been obviously this this progressive rise. Let's see what they do without Graham Morgan, Hayden Henry, and let's see if they can actually make some noise and, and sustain a spot in the top fifteen throughout the entire season. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. Is I, I started to see everybody putting out their preseason rankings or their way too early rankings for next year and. You know, see, a few people have Arkansas in the top 25, but when I saw, like, Joel Klatt have Arkansas at number seven in the country, I thought I was maybe taking, like, the red pill from the Matrix. I'm like, what is happening? Which, listen, I I love it. I love the attention that Arkansas gets, and I think that you would always want to have respect from college football people in that regard, too. But 
I don't know if this Razorback fan base can handle an expectation going into a, into a season of a top 10 ranking. Yeah, I'm not there. I, I look, <laughs> I, I get it. Like you're, you're excited about getting Jalen Catalan back, getting bump pulled back. Like that's, that's huge. That's awesome. It, the defense should be able to, to kind of stay afloat with Barry Odom. I, I trust that. I, I love KJ, but we still have a lot of questions about this team, right? We still need to figure out what in the world it looks like in the passing game without Traylon Burks. You, you can't plug in, plug in Jaden Hazelwood, the five-star transfer from Oklahoma, and assume it's going to be the same thing. Like, it, you just can't. That's not fair for how good Traylon Burks was. So I look, at, I look at that. I look at kind of the leadership on the defensive side. Like, is it going to fully be there in the same sort of way that it was this year? And are, are they going to get somebody that can rush the passer because Trey Williams was so important in being able to do that? So I just kind of look at some of those things, and I just kind of like, you know what? I have too many questions just to say all of a sudden that Arkansas is a top-10 team when they, they had a little cup of coffee there this year. But at the same time, there, there's a big gap with some of those elite teams compared to being, you know, kind of on that borderline top-10 margin. I, I'm I'm a little bit more willing to say, like, yeah, I mean, let's go top-15, top-20, but not quite top-10. Overall, um, we know that teams are judged on the current season that they had, and that's why they project them uh, looking forward. But how would you assess what Arkansas was able to accomplish this year? Yeah, I mean, year two, to have a year like this, I, I felt like I, I talked about it on the show coming into the season. Like, this is what you would take. This is exactly what you could have hoped for, I think, if you're an Arkansas fan. Like, you, you sweep Texas, you compete with Alabama. Yeah, the Georgia game didn't go your way. You know, the Ole Miss game didn't go your way. It had a much different sense of the word. But, like, you still look back on this season and you say, yeah, this is what we should be doing. We should be going to a Florida Bowl game. We should feel like we have a culture established on the offensive side of the ball. We have somebody that we can trust leading the defense as well. We should feel confident in Sam Pittman. This was exactly the type of year – that I think if you could have re- been realistic with your approach of, of expectations, this is this is what Arkansas w- was going to crank out. You you stop the streak against A and M, and and you're able to to dominate Texas in that fashion. It, it's great to have these September moments, but I think what Arkansas did that was different compared to 2020 was it showed down the stretch, hey, we can make those adjustments. We're not hitting those that that, that same sort of defensive role. And we can we can hang with these SEC teams in the trenches, and I think if you can establish that moving forward, you're going to be in a really good place. Now, Connor, uh, looking at what Georgia accomplished, obviously going 41 years without a title uh, to finally doing that is impressive. So, I guess my next question for you is, who do you think is another team that is out there right now that has another chance here in the next few years? of ending a drought of not winning a national championship? Because it seems like it's always Bama. Clemson's been involved in all that stuff, too. But if you had to put money on a team that's gone a long time without winning a title, who would be that team you think would be next up? I mean, A&M is the one that's most obvious. But I, I do have my question. I mean, look, A&M has, has a lot of the things that you would like. I mean, Jimbo Fisher is one of five active head coaches with a ring. So that, that's working in your favor. Resources, never going to be an issue. You want a coordinator, go get him. Pay him the money. You want to recruit, go pay him. Give him the money. Like, that's not going to be a thing that's going to hold AM back. It's just, how does Jimbo Fisher make some of these in season adjustments? Does he have the right coaches in place to be able to maximize their potential? 
And is A&M ultimately going to run into a bigger, better SEC team on a yearly basis? That's what we need to, to be able to see if they're able to end their drought, if they're able to kind of be that next Georgia. Everybody's going to point at them because that's kind of like the last big one that's remaining, at least of the teams who spend and kind of look the part. But I think that'll be a really difficult thing, especially in the SEC West. Once again, we come back to the place where we started as far as talking about the SEC. So is there, are there teams outside the SEC that you see actually getting to that mark and, and challenging in the same way, or is it all SEC? Yeah, I mean, if you ask me to take, take Alabama and Georgia to the field, to win a national championship next year, I'm thinking Alabama, Georgia. I mean, I would probably do it still just with Alabama. I mean, just with the way that, that, that the championship played out, the fact that they're going to have Bryce Young and Will Anderson coming back, it doesn't really seem fair, but they, they, they get that. But um, I, I would look at Ohio State and, and wonder if they're capable of taking that next step. We're going to talk a lot about their offensive skill players. Maybe the best group overall of offensive skill players coming back when you factor in Travion Henderson, everybody saw what Jackson Smith and Jigba did in the Rose Bowl and how miraculous of a performance that was. And Marvin Harrison Jr., of course. We're going to be talking a lot about those guys, C.J. Stroud as well. So I kind of look at that, and I think, you know what, they're going to get better on the defensive line. They just are. They didn't have a Bosa. They didn't have a Chase Young. They're going to be able to improve in that area. But, guys, outside of that, like you get one through three with Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, in whatever order you kind of want. It, it's kind of up for grabs, and maybe that benefits a team like Arkansas because so many of these programs that you would usually have slotted in there at the five to ten range dealing with coaching changes. You know, Oklahoma, USC, LSU, Florida. It just kind of feels like we could be seeing a change of the guard there. Maybe not at the very, very top of the sport. Who knows? Maybe Clemson's going to bounce back and win a national championship, but it, it kind of still looks like it's being dominated by the same sort of teams. And those three teams at the top are in a tier by themselves. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, man. And I think that with the NIL and the transfer portal and all this, because this stuff we've been talking about, I'm not saying that you still won't have Bama in the mix and Georgia in the mix and, and all these other teams, but I'm just wondering that here in the next five or so years, are we going to see more teams popping up that haven't had a run, like like maybe an A&M? Is USC going to bounce back with Lincoln Riley and be one of those teams? That, that's going to keep making it. Uh, you know, will there be Michigan starting to find some consistency there? You know, yep. Who else could be in there? That's that's kind of what I'm hoping to to see in college football is just other teams be able to be into the mix. That way we can have a little bit of variety too. Yeah, and we saw kind of what that interest level was like with Georgia. Georgia, like Georgia, for me to, to be able to win a national championship, like that would qualify as new blood, right? Like we don't see – Georgia necessarily in the playoff every single year. You know, that was only their, their second time making make the playoff. So it wasn't like, hey, this is just a team that's been there as much as Ohio State, Clemson, or Oklahoma. So to me, like that that was exciting to be able to see that kind of play out. 2019, LSU. Is, like, LSU had only been in the playoff once, and we kind of get to see them on that stage. We do need a little bit more of that, and maybe we will with all this coaching turnover, with all these different things, with the portal, with NIL. I mean, who knows? Like, maybe maybe we're going to see these teams in the preseason kind of have, like, a, a team goes from being ranked, like, 12 in the way too early ranks. All of a sudden, we're like, hey, is this the number four team in the country? Because they get a Jackson Dart or something like that. I mean, that's that's the type of thing, like, you feel like maybe that can happen. 
And it does kind of feel like outside of that, that elite tier one that this sport is very much up for grabs. 